We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy is back. I am here. Uh, This Apple podcast review from GC Falcon Hoya. Must listen for any D.C. sports fan, but especially for displaced Washingtonians. It's a slice of home listening to this on my evening commute. Kevin is consistently great day in and day out. Well, thank you. And Tom is truly a five-tool podcast host slash guest. Uh, He's a host when he's on this show, a co-host. And he is five-tool. And he's a bit of a tool sometimes, too. But he is back. But he is back from his trip to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of Fame, a Pittsburgh Pirates game. Uh, What else am I missing? Tell us all about your trip and everything that you want to talk about today. This is your show today. Okay, we started out, look, these are two friends of mine who I've known for more than 50 years. What are their names again? Harry and Pete. Harry and Pete, all right. Yeah, and uh, Harry lost his wife a couple years ago, and uh, last year we did a little road trip with him up to uh, Cooperstown, to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and to the Boxing Hall of Fame in Catastota. So we expanded one this year uh, to go to Cleveland, mainly to see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but we went to see a Guardians game the night before. Uh, And then the next day we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the day after that we went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton nearby. And then the day after that we drove a couple hours to Pittsburgh where we went to see a Pirates game. Now in Pittsburgh we had hoped to see the Clemente Museum, but I didn't make the reservations in time for the tour so instead, we went to the Andy Warhol Museum in oh, Pittsburgh. Oh, that's good. A little bit of culture mixed in with all the sports. But you went to a Pirates yeah. game as well. Yes, on Friday night. We saw the Pirates pummel the Mets. It was 14-2 to at one point. Wound up 14-7. to And there were about five Mets fans who had made the trip from New York in front of us. And they were not happy with the outcome, and they let their feelings be known New York style for everyone to hear. Yeah, they they traveled all the games on the East Coast and into the you know beginnings of the Midwest. Would we do we consider Pittsburgh to be the Midwest or the East? I think it's That's kind of a the big be- question. I think it's kind of the beginning of the Midwest. 
Western PA yeah, is so. not Eastern PA. It's a totally different personality yes. as well, right? Yes, just like Western Maryland and East and Eastern Shore. So in Maryland, right? But what Western PA has a big city in Pittsburgh, like Eastern PA yes. does in Philadelphia. We don't necessarily yes. have that in Maryland. Um, on the Eastern Shore yeah. or in Western Maryland. But um, so tell and me. PNC uh, Park. PNC Park. I've heard is great. Is arguably, I mean, you're sitting there with a view of the great skyline of Pittsburgh. Uh, so it, 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 was a, it was a great trip. There were a couple of early hiccups that has required me to go to war with somebody. Uh, uh, Harry, full, Harry or Pete? Huh? Harry or Pete? No, 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 no. With with the Hilton Hotels specifically. Oh boy, what uh, what happened? So with Hilton I am at a, a massive war with Hilton right now. You are. Oh, yes. Hold on. So, uh, uh, well, that is more interesting actually to me than, than your trip. But I want to ask you about your trip real quickly. Tell me about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's on my bucket list. As is, believe it or not, I've never been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, you should make the trip for both. I mean, Canton's only 50 minutes away from uh, Cleveland. You probably know this because you probably went to uh, grocery stores in, in all these places. I did, yeah. Uh, First National Supermarkets Finest was a client of ours in Cleveland for many years. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, that was out of Cleveland. Kroger was a client of ours in Columbus and in Cincinnati. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Ohio. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's definitely a trip that you need to make. Uh, you would really love it. Uh, and you might want to spend more than one day there. Uh, there's a lot of audio to listen to, a lot of film clips of great legendary artists. They have great exhibits, you know, Roots of Rock. They have an exhibit called, you know, that focuses on the different sounds that came from different cities, from Detroit to Philadelphia, to Memphis. Mm. Uh, and they had this great exhibit where you could play instruments. They had, they had guitars everywhere that you could pick up and play, and they had a couple of drum sets, which I got on and played some drums. Do you, do you play drums? You've never told me that before. No, I've never played drums oh, okay. in my life. Okay. You know, but I don't play guitar either. It just seemed like the easier of the two right. to, to sit down and play. But my friend Pete plays guitar, and, and it was a great exhibit. And as part of that exhibit, they have a live karaoke band. Oh, God, you sent me the video. Tommy got up there and sung <laughs> Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. And it was... They had a band. It was a with, beauty. With a book of about... 60 or 70 songs that they could play. Uh-huh. Anyone you pick. And uh, I made a quick decision on sitting on the dock in a bay because there was a line of people waiting to do this. Uh, and I did it. Yeah, you so did. So I performed in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, look, it's very possible after that performance you might get some consideration for the class of maybe <laughs> 2024 or 2025. I'm going to, at the very end of the show, you can fast forward if you'd like, but I'm going to go ahead and roll Tommy's sitting on the dock of the Bay Otis Redding karaoke version uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's actually better video and better audio than some of the Florida 
karaoke um, attempts. Uh, so you'll be able to really oh, hear. Like, you'll be able to really hear Tommy's voice, which you know yes. you certainly don't want to miss. Because this was indoors as opposed to my outdoor. You, this was your indoor voice. Florida. Yeah, this was your indoor yes. voice, right? Yeah. So I mean, that was really fun. Uh, the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame was great. You know, uh, you, did you see what I tweeted and linked you to no. about the pro? No, you don't see anything. I don't. You know, I, I don't spend. I, mean, I don't even time on Twitter. I don't you except the Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah, but on Tuesdays you know, and Thursdays, like I pull up your Twitter account and I start reading. What did you tweet yeah, out from the I'm, Pro Football Hall of Fame? I, well, you know what? There's a display in the Pro Football Hall of Fame of your favorite player, Kirk Cousins. No, there isn't. You know, the and the comeback. What? That he had. Oh, the right. Historic comeback. Right, of course. They had his jer- yeah. They had his jersey there. I think they had his cleats, and they had a big write-up. It's like a separate, you know, standalone exhibit. Uh, you know, in, in the middle of the hall for Kirk Cousins. Wow. Well, that I, was. I posted on Facebook and I posted on Twitter, among other things. I posted during a week. Thirty-three they to nothing. Had... They were down in that game. Thirty-three to yes, nothing. Yeah, and at they wound time. up winning thirty-nine, thirty-six. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I see yeah. it. Hey, Kevin Sheehan, DC. Guess who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Um, <laughs> you know, he set the NFL record last year with the most fourth-quarter comeback wins in NFL history for any quarterback, and that obviously uh, topped them all. Um, tell me what the, tell me about the pro football hall of fame, the things that were truly memorable for you. Well, uh, a lot of, again, you know, they have the hall where they have all the bus of all the members and you can, uh, they have a touch screen where you can hear, see a little write up and hear a little, you know, see a little video of each of the members. Right. Uh, and the first, the first bus. You walk into in the hall, Sammy Ball. You know that that that's the first one you see, and uh, you know it was great to see. You know, you see Sonny Jurgensen's bus, Art Monks, George Allen's, Chris Hamburger. They're all there throughout that that hall, uh, and that was pretty inspiring to see. You know, and uh, I I ahead. counted up all the all the members of the hall that either I've met or interviewed, and it came to 33 guys, which I thought was pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah. Now, that includes like guys like Deacon Jones, who you and I interviewed at the Super Bowl. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there were a bunch you of know, those that came Steve through the Super Young, Bowl. Yeah. Guys like that. Right. So. Um, but, uh, and they had, uh, I'll tell you what, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it was hard for me not to compare. It's great, you know, if you're a football fan, you love it. And I am a football fan, but it's not as nice as the baseball hall of fame. It's just not. You know, it's it's just it's just I mean, it's a sport that didn't value history for years as much as baseball has. So it's just it's just not as good. It's great and it's worth the trip. And they're turning it into some kind of big development. They're building a Hall of Fame village, a retirement community around it. I don't quite understand all the dynamics of that, but uh, it, it was it was a good trip. You know, it was, it was good, and 
Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you saying that it didn't value its history as much as baseball did. I, I looked this up when you mentioned that the first bust that you saw was Sammy Baugh's. He was in the very first class of enshrinees for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and that was in 1963. I mean, the league had already yeah. been around for, yeah. you know, well, no, it had been around for 25 years. No, no, probably like 35 years at that point, something like that. The league started in 1921. 1921, okay, sorry. So 42 years it was around, and that was the first class of Hall of Fame inductees, and it was quite the class. Red Grange, Don Hudson, Bronco Nagurski part of it, Sammy Baugh, Jim Thorpe, Ernie Nevers, Hallis, um, yeah, all in that uh, inaugural class. You know, they had different theaters where they showed different films and stuff. Right. And they had this one theater that consisted of Joe Namath in a hologram talking to you about football, mm-hmm. which was, for me was great uh and uh, so it, it was fun uh we went to the andy warhol museum yeah tell me Pittsburgh. about that well that was a little bit different uh you know i, I my buddy harry is not quite exposed to uh culture as maybe i am not that i'm any kind of culture freak but harry Harry's only words leaving the museum was, I had no idea how weird this guy was. <laughs> well, that's probably a, a pretty accurate observation. Yes. Yes, it was. And it was the films. He made like 300 films in the 60s that nobody ever saw, uh, except, you know, the avant-garde right. uh, people saw them. And they're pretty bizarre, like a guy standing with a cigar blowing smoke into a woman's face for like 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, bizarre films like that. Yeah. Well, did uh, you did you enjoy it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Was... I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I had no idea that he was such a, a, a successful commercial artist mm-hmm. before he became a popular artist. I mean, he was, I think, on Madison Avenue, ma- major league in demand for his commercial artwork because... Because he would give the client what they wanted, and he would do it in a very timely manner. Uh, apparently, he was very easy to work with. Uh, clients loved him. So he really made his bones in advertising Interesting. On, Ma- on, you know, on Madison Avenue. I didn't know how successful he had been at that. Hmm. So that was a little bit interesting. Um, were these museums that are one dayers or half dayers? Like, you know, did you get all you needed out of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in a half day, or, or did you need a full day? No, the Pro Football Hall of Fame was a three or four hour uh, event, and the Andy Warhol Museum wasn't quite as long. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, again, you could do a day and go back the next day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we went to uh, we went to a Guardians game on Tuesday night. Right. Saw the Guardians play the uh, Red Sox. You know, I I've covered dozens of games in that stadium, and when the Indians in their glory years of the '90s, when they went to two World Series, and that stadium for eight years sold out every single right. game. Yeah. Four hundred fifty-five games. Well, they they took out. In 2014, they took out 7,000 seats because they're not—they don't get the same attendance, mm-hmm. and they're about to take more out. Uh, so it's—it's it's, 
you know, it's 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 seen better days. The stadium itself holds up great, uh, and uh, I, I don't get it because I mean, for for a town like Cleveland that hasn't seen a lot of winning, there's been a lot of great moments in that stadium. There's been tremendous. There, there, there's been tremendous moments that have taken place there. So, right. I don't understand why the Indians have kind of the Guardians have kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. That, so they don't get the crowds they used to. I've been to that stadium. Um, I, I went to it. It was in the mid '90s. It was right after it opened. Tommy, I went to the. I went to an Indians game at the old stadium. I probably told this to you before, but. When I was on the road a lot for, you know, like a 12-year, 13-year period, I sometimes would just, if I was in a city where there was a baseball game that night, I would go, um, even if it was by myself. And I remember going to a Cleveland game at Old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And I'm telling you, there probably weren't 5,000 people at the game. Uh, and that was a shitty stadium, uh, by the way, for baseball. Uh, and they've obviously that's, that, that's the, the capacity for that stadium was eighty thousand. Exactly. Um, it was the Brown Stadium too. But the but yeah. the new stadium, I remember when it opened, and I remember going to a game with clients of ours in Cleveland. I don't know, nineteen ninety eight. Would it have been ninety seven somewhere around there? Does that seem right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it opened in 94. 94, okay. And the sellout streak started in 95. Got it. Um, and it lasted till I think, 2001 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and the Pirates, you know, PNC Ballpark is, you know, if you told me that you think it's the best ballpark in baseball, I'm not going to argue with you. It's well, not my favorite, but it's in top three. Well, uh, everybody says, and I've never been to it, that it's the um, it's the views of of the city which you know Pittsburgh has Pittsburgh actually is a pretty city and it has more bridges here's a fun fact to know and tell yeah. more bridges than any city uh in the country um but uh but I've not been to it but god my I think my son was in Pittsburgh last summer and went to a game and he thought it was the best park he's ever been to and he it's loves tremendous. Camden Yards Yeah I could see I could I I certainly I'm I'm not going to argue with that and one of the things we did, this is a big deal for me, you know, all these stadiums have statues now in or around the stadiums. Yeah. So I got my picture taken in, in Cleveland with Frank Robinson has a statue outside, uh, you know, Progressive Field there in Cleveland. Right. Frank Robinson has a statue at three different major league ballparks. Nats Park. Uh... Uh, no, he doesn't have one at Nats Park. He has one in Baltimore. He has one in Cincinnati. And he has a, a, a one in Cleveland too. So who are the? So I don't think there's who anybody. are the statues? Just Frank uh, Howard? No, no. Frank and Walter Robinson. Johnson. What? Oh, the statues outside Josh Park Gibson, are Frank Howard, uh, Walter Johnson, and Josh. Gibson. And Josh Gibson, right? Okay, I was trying to think yeah. of it. So not not Frank Robinson, who you loved. No. You've all you've yeah. always loved Frank Robinson. Yeah, he's one of my favorite guys. I, I considered it a privilege. To cover him because he was baseball royalty. Yeah, and so I I got my picture taken with his statue. Larry Doby, who played for the yep. Indians, has a statue out there. I got my picture taken with him in Cleveland. Uh, they have a great huge uh, Roberto Clemente statue. Uh, we got a picture taken with that. They have Willie Stargell. Uh, 
you know. So, I mean, I like doing that. It's just my little thing. Uh, it, it makes me feel like for a moment I'm, I'm actually sharing that moment with these guys, even though it's a statue for crying out loud. Which of the two ballparks uh, had the best food? Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland had better food. Okay. Um, yeah. There's some pictures with Harry and Pete. Uh, which one's Harry and which one's Pete? Who's the taller? Uh, Pete's, is... the, Pete's the tall, taller thin Got one. it. Okay. And Harry's the yeah. other guy. And Pete's the guy that didn't like the Andy Warhol Museum. No, Harry's the one. That oh, Harry. Liked. Okay. And Harry's the one that hosts Bumstock every year. Ah, gotcha. All right. All right. Well, it sounds like that was one hell of a trip. It was. We covered 1,200 miles Yep. in uh, five days. And, uh, it, you know, the, the only thing that went wrong was my little hiccup with Hilton. Oh, yeah, Red. So tell, me about the, so tell me about the hiccup with Hilton. You said Hilton. Yeah. Okay, what happened? Uh, I planned the whole trip. Here we go. You know, the... the uh, the baseball games, the museums, uh-huh. and the hotels. And uh, so we get into Cleveland, and I made reservations at the Hilton Garden in downtown Cleveland right across from the ballpark. Would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. I have the reservation on my phone. Now, I make these reservations through Hotels.com. Uh, and so, uh, and, and the day before we got there, I got an email from the hotel you know, you know, welcoming me when, when we get there. Right. So we get to the hotel. We go to check in. I show him my reservation on my phone. He goes to look it up. He says, no, you don't have a reservation here. Uh, and there were four millennials behind the counter who were more interested in, in amusing themselves than helping me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I kept arguing with them. I said, what, you know, what does I that got mean? it right here. Here's a the, number. The four millennials uh, standing behind you in line or behind the desk? No, in the count, uh, uh, behind the counter. Oh, behind the counter. Totally working working me. for the Hilton Garden Inn. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you oh. know, he, said, and he did some research and he said, it looks like Hotels.com canceled your reservation within seconds of making it. Uh, and I said, well, my other reservation, I checked the can- reservation in Canton and Pittsburgh. I made them at the same time. They're still intact. I called both those hotels. Uh, he said, yeah, but well, we didn't have anything to do with it. I said, well, why are you sending me emails, the, you know, the day before, you know, welcoming me to Cleveland? Right. I mean, it was a hotel email. Right. And he said, well, those are computer-generated. We don't have anything to do with that. But I said, you know, I'm arguing with them, but they're your emails. And so, so oh. I was arguing with them about the, the reservations, but I was more upset with their indifference to our plight and their reluctance to try to help us find another accommodation. Wait, was the hotel booked? Which, well, the hotel was booked. Okay. But, I mean, I've, I, look, I've, I've stayed in hundreds, maybe thousands of hotels, okay? I've traveled on, in this business like you have yeah. for many there was a room. A if, there was a room somewhere if they really wanted it for you. Right. Uh, either that or they could call around. Yeah. They have relationships yeah. with other hotels when this thing kind of happened. Mm-hmm. They couldn't lift a finger, you know? Weren't particularly interested, you know? And, and I'm on my phone five feet from them, trying to call different hotels. And at one point, 
I had to step away because they were so busy laughing and, and yucking it up about something. They were they were amusing themselves. Oh, that that would have really irritated me. It did. It yeah. just really pissed me off. Yeah. Uh, we wound up because every hotel we called in Cleveland wanted seven hundred dollars that night for a room. Why? What was going on? Well, Anything? I think there were a lot of Boston fans in town oh. for the uh, for the game. So uh, what we did was we adjusted pretty quick. Uh, Canton's only 50 minutes away. So I called the hotel in Canton and asked if we could check in two days earlier instead of Thursday night if we could come check in Tuesday night for three nights. Right. Which they said we could. Sure. Canton's so, got rooms. So, you know, we, we hung around Cleveland for a couple of hours. We went to the Guardians game. That was fun. And then after the game, we drove to Canton. Uh, where we spent the next three nights. You know, the next day we got up and we drove back to Cleveland to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wait, so that was whoa, the whoa, only whoa, whoa. hold on for a second. You you went to the Guardians game, you drove 50 minutes to Canton, and then you drove back to Cleveland the next day to see the Rock and Roll Hall of, Hall of Fame? We didn't drive hours. It's a 50-minute drive. 50 or fi- one five or five zero. Five zero. You drove fifty minutes back to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This pisses me off now. All right, so, yeah. so uh, first of all, what's the explanation? Why uh, you, you you had a confirmation number? You had a reservation number, and they didn't have it in they their system. It on ho- they blamed it on Hotels.com. Okay, well that's Hotels. not Hotels.com. Sort of admitted it to some extent, uh-huh. but they gave me like they sent me like a like this is gonna. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, they're they're second on the list. They sent me a fifty dollars. Oh, oh, we got list editions here. We oh, got yeah, hold on. Yeah. We got hotels.com and we've got the Hilton, the Hilton Garden Inn. I mean, let's let's keep it to the Hilton Garden Inn unless you want to go, uh, you know, all in on on every Hilton uh, uh, chain. Oh, I'm, um, in, I'm all in on every Hilton. <laughs> Because okay. I've been, you know me, I've been back and forth with Hilton Corporate, uh-huh. and they might as well have been those millennials behind the counter laughing at me. That as, as much as much help as Hilton Corporate. Has, uh, that, has that's been. the part that would have just set me. It's it's one thing for there to be a mistake, and Hotels.com made it, but you are the customer, and even if you're not their customer, you may have been their customer, and you might be a customer in the future. And in the service industry, uh, this is where you, you know, you bend over backwards to help the person that doesn't have a hotel room for that night and is in your city. Yes. And I'm a Hilton Honors member. So am I. I'm a member of their club. So, so I hope you gave them that number. Did you tell them who you were? Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't tell them who I was. How did you handle it when thing, you were there? Did you I, lose I it said, at any point? Did you did you MF them or not? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that because we're, you know, at that point, I was pissed off because these guys were relying on me to do this. Right. So you're a little and, bit, yeah, yeah, I mean, but it wasn't your fault. Yeah. I know that, but I still felt obligated. Right. So I was looking to, to solve our immediate situation yeah. at that point right, as good. opposed to exacting revenge. Because I knew afterwards I would work to exact re- a revenge for the rest of my life yeah. if I have to. Um, all right. So- and, and 
I sent I sent an email to the general manager of the hotel. Right. Two or three of them never got a response. Not one. Do, do, see, are you sure you sent it to the right general manager of that hotel? Yes, I did. I got his card. I have his email address. Uh-huh. And you haven't heard and back Hilton from him. Corporate. I have not heard back from him. Yeah. Hilton Corporate has responded with, well, it's a Hotels.com problem. I said, well, that's only half the problem. What about the terrible customer service that I received? Right. They said, well, we're sorry about that. Hmm. Yeah, that's not so, good. That's not good. Uh, that's not I, good. I, I am. That's not good. Enough. I am starting my letter writing campaign to the Cleveland Tourism Association, oh the Ohio <laughs> Hotel. Don't, don't get uh, on his list, people. Do not get on his list. If nope. you're if you're on the list, you're nope. never getting off the list. First of all, no. Nope. And they're, they're going to have a file with my name on it at that hotel. <laughs> Uh, just stick that into the, here it is. Here's another one. Put it into his file and stick it in that box underneath the desk. (laughs) (laughs) It's the uh, gym complaint file, um, from Dwight. Uh, oh boy. God. Oh, that is so, so irritating. You know, it's the rest of the trip. The rest of the trip went smooth as silk. We had great weather. We didn't have any of the smoke. That you guys had to deal with back. Oh, that's here. right. You missed the smoke, which God, I haven't yeah. even talked about that. I we, I want to talk about that here in a, in a moment. But go ahead, wrap up your your trip. And we didn't hit any traffic. Traffic was smooth. You know, just it was just a, a really great trip. And these are guys that you've known forever. You know, these are guys who have seen me at my best and worst. Right. You know, o- over the years, uh, and they mean a lot to me. So it was. It was fun to spend five days with these guys. And if you've got some friends out there that uh, you've talked about doing this, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and plan a trip like this. Yeah. Because it'll be worth it. 100%. Just Um, don't stay in Hilton. Just don't stay at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cleveland. Yeah. Or any Hilton. Yeah. Have you tried tried to call that GM? No, I have not tried to call him. I, I would try to call him. I'd let him have it. But okay. whatever. So at this point, it's it's it might make you feel uh, good, but I don't know that you're uh, hotels. dot com. What did you get back from them? What, what how did it get resolved? Uh, well, they gave me a fifty dollar credit towards my next a uh, fifty dollar credit. That's, not, that's it. What that's was not the cut it. no? What did the hotel? What what did you ha, what was the price of the hotel room uh, or rooms that you booked that night? Uh, slightly over two hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's that fifty dollar credit isn't going to do it. No, yeah, no, that's not going to cut it. But, no. but I'm concentrating on Hilton right now before I go after Hotels.com. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, this. You know, I, I don't like to fight a war on two fronts. Um, I like to fight the war in front of me. Well, you can't fight a war on two fronts by yourself. You need some help. Uh, you got to bring the Russians in uh, to help out um, <laughs> on the Eastern Front. So, yeah, we had this smoke last week. But I'm going to tell you what I, um, I honestly, I swear to you, I'm not trying to be Mr. Tough Guy at all. I barely even noticed it. I mean, I I understand that things were closing and schools were closing and they canceled the Nats game. And I know that, you know, it was, um, you know, there was a hit and miss nature to it, depending on where you were. Um, But on Thursday, uh, 
when Thursday was supposed to be the really bad day, it was hazy. It was definitely hazy out. But I, I didn't smell any smoke. Now, I might have issues with my, with my smeller, but I didn't really smell smoke. I noticed the haze. Now, my son, who lives in New York, he was sending back pictures of like this yellowish haze and sky. It was very eerie. And he said it was really something else to, to, to walk around Manhattan as, you know, that he actually got, uh, was, was able to stay home for work one of those days because they didn't want any, anybody coming into the office. But, you know, he went around and walked around and took some video and sent it back to us. But I don't know. To me, it, it, it was the equivalent of, you know, the, um, the forecasted 6 to 12-inch snowstorm where you get a little bit of rain and flurries and they still cancel schools. <laughs> because I just, I guess I missed it. I talked to, to various people. Um, like I was, I played golf Friday. I played golf Saturday. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I talked to some people and they said, no, no, it was pretty bad where I was. And so maybe it was just where I was on Thursday. Friday was beautiful. Saturday, gorgeous. Weekend was great. Today's going to be beautiful as well. Um, but was not, you know, was not a big deal. I didn't think for, uh, for us much worse, apparently for New York, much worse. And, uh, and apparently Detroit, I think Detroit really had it bad. Because there were multiple... really because Cleveland and Pittsburgh didn't see anything really. Yeah, speak of. Um, okay, you want to talk? I want you to catch up on some of the things that you missed. I mean, you missed the big Wizards press conference. You missed mini camp. Lots of things going on uh, while you were away, and of course, the NBA Finals concluded last night. With uh, Denver winning in five, damn it! I had I had two wagers on the series. I had Denver in six, Denver in seven, and I lose bo- I lose both of them. Uh, all right, we'll get to all of that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Denver takes Game 5 and the NBA Finals for their first ever NBA championship in the history of that city. Uh, It really looked exciting for that fan base um, there last night. I think it's been exciting for the last two months, but the fact that they finally won a title. They've had good fans, Tommy, over the years. They've had loyal fans. They've had good players You know, and they've had some good teams, but they've never been in the NBA Finals and they've never won it. Um, And now the Nuggets are an NBA championship team. uh, And they did it with Nikola Jokic once again uh, being great. Um, I'll just tell you what I thought of the game. I loved it. Um, and I don't want to hear you say that I'm overcompensating because it's just I, I you can I sat there uh, and didn't miss one minute of it. Uh, that was as intense a defensive, desperate um, game as as you'll see. And I love that in sports. I love in sports when you're truly, you know, backed into a corner and you're desperate and both teams are just, you know, cliche, leaving it all out there. That's what was going on last night. And it wasn't pretty. You know, you didn't have some of the incredible shot making that you've had during the playoffs or some of the incredible shooting percentages that we've had during the postseason. But I don't know that you'll find a game, you know, uh, in the NBA in recent years that had more effort, energy, and competitiveness as that game had last night. Yeah, I loved watching it. Um, it was it was that way from the jump. It was Miami and Denver just throwing haymakers back and forth, and it was all with effort and, 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 and defense. I mean, the defense by both teams last night was sensational. I mean, nobody got you know open looks consistently last night. Jokic was great. Look, I mean, he's all-time great in terms of a postseason, Tommy. I, I don't care you know what era we're talking about or what you think of basketball. Nobody's ever had a postseason like Nikola Jokic uh, just had, um, statistically anyway. And I think you know the your own eyes watching it would tell you how great he was um, in leading Denver uh, to a title. 28-16 and 16 last night. Four assists, not a triple-double. So he ends this postseason with 10 triple-doubles, but averaged a triple-double um, during uh, the postseason. Hit every big shot for them down the stretch. Um, Miami, uh, they just... In their last, you know, since winning game two, games three, four, and five, you know, the effort, the intensity, the defense, it was there. I mean, there were certain things I didn't love about games um, three and four specifically uh, with them on defense. Um, They just couldn't make enough shots. And... I think, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, who I've made fun of in the past because I just can't stand the constant, you know, moaning about, you know, new rules. Like he comes up with a new rule idea every broadcast and, you know, each new rule idea is dumber than the one that preceded it. But he's a good analyst. He's a really good analyst. And he said something at one point during the second half, he said, Miami can't win this series, let alone this game, relying on role players. And he was specifically calling out Jimmy Butler, really more than Bam, because Bam had a good first half, even though he completely disappeared um, in the second half and in the fourth quarter in particular. And as much as I love Denver throughout this postseason, and I think it was one of the best team titles 
that I've seen in a long time. Of course, they've got a superstar, an all-time great. And they also have a superstar in Jamal Murray. And you see what was missed with Murray missing two of the last three postseasons. It's possible they would have had a title already, maybe the one in the bubble. Um, And I think there could be more to come. Uh, They're certainly a contender for the next uh, several years um, in a loaded Western Conference. But it was such a... um, it was such a beautiful brand of basketball to watch. And I'll, you know, acknowledge, you know, in this day and age where there is, unfortunately, and it's the kind of basketball I don't like, there's a lot of, you know, one man and two man sets and, you know, the James Hardens of the world dribbling the, the life out of the basketball. And that's hard to watch. And Denver and Miami were the opposite of that. Um, and they were just incredible teams and well-coached teams and self uh, selfless teams. But I've got to point out, that for me, Jimmy Butler carried them to the NBA Finals. But the truth is, he cost them a chance, I think, in the NBA Finals to have a longer series. I thought he was outstanding defensively throughout the uh, Finals. But man, whatever what happened to him from essentially Game 3 or Game 4 in the Boston series through the end of this series was really interesting. And I don't know that we got an explanation because I was expecting something to come out after the game. Maybe Spo saying something like, we got to give Jimmy Butler a hell of a lot of credit because he was playing through, you know, a strained Achilles or something like that. Because he really did at times look so reluctant offensively Going back to game six of the Boston series, that was really the beginning of this, you know, seven-game run. Look, I mean, it's hard to to, to criticize, you know, he averaged 21.6 points per game in the the finals, you know, but um, he was a reluctant offensive player as a scorer, and they needed him to be a scorer in these NBA finals. And they needed him to be an early scorer. Kyle Lowry, and I read this last night, but I remember him saying it maybe in, um, it could have been the uh, the Knicks series. He said, when Jimmy starts fast, we feed off of that and we are off and running. And he had zero points at the end of the first quarter. He had eight at halftime. He had eight at the end of the third quarter. He had eight points going into the final four and a half minutes of the game. And then he scored 13 in a row. I mean, it, 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 out of nowhere. I, I blame his passiveness as a scorer in these NBA Finals for Miami not playing a longer series against Denver. They were not the better team, and I don't think they were going to win this series. But I do think that they had a chance to win more than a game in this series had he been more aggressive as a scorer. I personally think something must have been wrong. Um, I think that the size and length in the Boston series affected him a little bit, and it looked like he didn't have much lift. And you saw a lot of this against Denver too, but it was odd. It was odd to watch. And, man, he got shredded. I was reading it this morning on Twitter during the game last night by NBA people and NBA players who love him, and it's like, what are you doing? 
Your team is has a chance to take this series back to a game six, and you've got eight points on two of yeah. thirteen shooting. Um, I I mean, like I've said this before, but you go back to the early portion of the playoffs, and he had a game in which he had thirty three shot attempts, twenty eight shot attempts, twenty seven shot attempts, where he was shooting fifty percent, sixty seven percent, sixty eight percent. Um, in Boston, in games one and two, he was 12 of 25 from the floor in the first two games, 35 points, 27 points, 48% shooting from the field. And now, in the closeout game against Boston, he got aggressive, and I thought he played well, played very well defensively. But there was something not right about Butler and the reliance on their role players, which was the Jeff Van Gundy line that I just I wrote down. I'm like, God, that's so spot on. You can't, in that situation, you can't rely on the Max Struces and the Gabe Vincents and the Duncan Robinsons and the Caleb Martins of the world. That's the time your superstars, you know, your stars, your best players have to lead you. And I know Butler scored 13 in a row at the end. And it was amazing to watch, including the, the the foul where he went to the line for probably three free throws he shouldn't have gotten. Although I'm going to tell you that this it, that was a bit of a step back three, and anybody that that you know has ever shot a basketball in a in, in an actual game, you know those step back threes with length and it was Gordon in front of them. You will you know occasionally kick that that leg out a little bit as part of the shooting motion to get a little more strength into the shot. But anyway, um, that was, to me, head-scratching. It was head-scratching the last several games, and last night was really strange. Eight points entering the last four and a half minutes of of the game. And by the way, they had a 10-point lead at one point in this game. You know, they, they and then he brought them back. They were down seven, and he brought them back to the lead. And then he turned it over with a terrible turnover, down one with 26 oh, God, seconds yeah. to go. I mean, he didn't get any help. Struess had a backdoor cut. He was being overplayed. You've got to feel that and cut backdoor, and it would have been a real chance at the rim. But um, but still, I mean, they had timeouts left. There were a lot of things they could have done there. Um, but, you know, the Nuggets deserved it, Tommy. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good NBA championship team. And for me, and I would think for people like you, a really enjoyable team to watch because they play basketball the way some people think it should be played. Um, but, man, the intensity of that game, the defense by both teams, I mean, the shooting percentages were horrible, but it was all defense. It was all just, I mean, every loose ball, there were three bodies on, on the floor. It was intense, uh, and it was desperate from Miami, which I loved. And that's what you, you know, that's that heat culture they talk about. I mean they they are um, they are overachievers, that's for sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, I hope Jokic gets on a run here. You know, he's got two MVPs, and now he's got a Finals MVP. Tommy, he's another championship and another lead, you know regular season MVP away from being considered like, you know, legitimately in the conversation of the all-time greatest to ever play the game. We're, we're, we're a couple of years away from that. Skill-wise, we can already say it. But in that sport, you need the rings to go with it. He's got one. Um, he probably needs another one or two.
Let me speak about Jokic for a minute. First of all, I, I do. I did love watching Denver play, and Miami to some extent. Jimmy Butler is my second favorite player behind Jokic, so I enjoyed the finals games for the most part. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think the intensity you speak about. I think you could say that for most. Uh, NBA Finals games that we've seen over the years. I don't think this was some kind of new development about intensity. I think if, if you're not going to be intense in the NBA Finals, what's the point of being there? Uh, and uh, I love that Jokic, after the game, went and congratulated every Heat player he could find before he started celebrating. Yeah. You know, that was the first thing he did. Was went and, and and you know just offered shook hands you know hugged every key player he could find before he started celebrating with his team. So I like that a lot. Let me take you on a little experiment. This is what we like to do with with players when we compare eras. You know, people will say, well, somebody like a Willis Reed or a Dave Cowens or a Will Chamberlain. You know, maybe they couldn't play in this era. Okay, because of the quote evolution, uh, let's let's reverse it. Okay, Kevin. Okay. Could Jokic play in the era when there were great big men? Would he be as successful as he is now? And I would have to say no. I would say yes, a hundred percent. No, I tell you, you know what? He won the Bill Russell Trophy last night. Right. If Bill Russell in his prime was guarding Jokic in his prime, mm-hmm. Jokic is not nearly the scorer that he was in, in, in today's NBA. Dave Cowens, all over him. Willis Reed, all over him. He benefits from the lack of big men. Now, he has a great three-point shot, but a lot of these guys then would go out uh, on him on the three-point shot knowing that there's no way he could get past them because he's so slow. This guy, he's great to watch, but he's, but, and everyone calls him a unicorn. Why do they call him a unicorn? Because there's nobody like him in the NBA any, anymore. The NBA used to be filled with guys like him. Well, there's no doubt that there, the NBA used to be filled with guys, big men, who did, you know, who were um, very defined as post players, both on defense and on offense. Um, the game's evolved. The big man doesn't play on the post um, exclusively anymore. And so, you know, uh, how? I mean, I, look, Bill Russell, I think, probably could guard anybody anywhere. Um, but what, yeah. they, what, what the first thing they would do with Jokic is, you know, Bill Russell would be away from the rim guarding Nikola Jokic. Um, you yes, know, 25 feet from the floor, which means he's not going to end up with all those block shots again um, and, a lot, and all the rebounds that he ended up with. Um, you'd pull him out. You'd pull Wilt out. And but let's Jokic, see, but you Jokic know, is if, not going to wind up with the triple-double yeah, that but, he's had. But having. Jokic is going to shred him with his passing uh, because the lane's going to be wide open. There's going to be no rim protector. Um, so there, there's lots of different, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the answer, I, I, these arguments to me, here's what I feel strongly about that the, the physical, you know, development and evolution over the years, it's just a different game athletically. I, I don't necessarily think like the skill difference is significant, although I do think it's different. 
you know, and by the way, when I say different, it's definitely different from like the 60s NBA. I think when you start to get into the 70s in the NBA and the 80s, the skill levels are very comparable to today. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Isaiah Thomas isn't, or Pete Maravich isn't one of the all-time greatest skill players of all time. But I told you this last year. When I sat there, NBA TV was running the 1962 NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Celtics, and I'm like watching the ball handling, and it's just dreadful. I mean, you've got guys that literally are, are, are moving left, dribbling with their right hand. The ball completely exposed. There wasn't defense back then where you're you're really trying to, you know, where you're really being, you know, pushed as a ball handler. It was it was a more like it was free flowing and then the game stopped becoming free flowing because of the hand check and then it became free flowing again. But the only thing that I feel strongly about is that there's just a completely different level of athleticism and that's just, you know, you see it in all sports. I mean, there weren't many you know, six six foot eight inch, two hundred and seventy pound, you know, forwards who could post you, could hit you in the mid range, or could shoot long jump shots that now count for three. Um, and that's LeBron. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine, quite honestly, and I'm not a you know I'm not the biggest LeBron fan. I can't imagine anybody from that day and age guarding LeBron uh, when when he gets ahead of steam. Um, but that's the only thing I feel strongly about. I think the game, you know, uh, it's certainly the way the game was played and it was much more of a team game versus an ISO game. You know, that stuff I enjoy more. Um, but no, the, the level of play in these NBA playoffs was the highest I've ever seen as a basketball fan for 50 years. I've never seen better basketball, better shot making, better passing. Um, I just thought the entire postseason was great. It's interesting. I did not think the NBA Finals were great. Um, There wasn't a great game. Last night's game, being called by virtually everybody, one of the most intense games they've ever watched, including the announcers on the call. So whatever. It was different last night than most NBA Finals games. But I'm not going to sit here and quibble with you because you only watched the last few minutes of the game. Um, But I... uh, I, I, I didn't think it was a great NBA Finals. There wasn't a great game. Game two was a really good game, but it's been a while since we've had, you know, a game come down to the very end. Game two, they had the three. You know, um, Jamal Murray had a three to tie it, but we had basically, you know, four out of the five games. I mean, last night's game was a one-point game with a minute and a half to go, um, but, you know, we had three basically double-digit wins for the Nuggets. Um, So I didn't think the NBA Finals were great. I also thought both teams looked a little bit worn out, to be honest with you. And last night, man, uh, you know, with the way they got after it uh, on on defense, it just shot – shot making was – uh, the most difficult you've seen in any game, I think, throughout the postseason. What did they shoot? I don't even look at the final numbers. Denver shot 49.4%. Wow, I didn't realize they shot that that well from the uh, from the field. Miami shot 8 of 25. Miami finished the, the, the f- f- four games that they lost. They shot 40 for 125 from the three-point line. 
Um, when is that they, good? That's not good. That is not good no, at no, all. No, I know that. <laughs> and they weren't making up for it by being outstanding from two or outstanding from the free throw line necessarily. But I'll tell you, the biggest mystery for me when this thing was all over is what happened to Jimmy Butler on offense? I mean, he made plays for others, but it was like he thought he was a pass-first point guard in in like six out of the last seven games he played in the postseason. That was odd. It was weird to watch. And last night, just like game six of the Boston series, it's like, what are you doing? You, they need you to score 30 tonight. Um, and he had no intention of scoring 30 for some odd reason. All right, let's finish up the show uh, talking a little football right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, one of the things I missed, on my road trip, which was stopping in the Shelley's and having a smoke. I didn't have any cigars pretty much uh, on the trip, save for one night uh, outside the hotel. And uh, I'm looking forward tonight. Uh, I'm going to an awards dinner at the National Press Club. And after that, I'll walk right across the street to Shelley's back room and have a nice celebratory cigar and a beer from one of the many cigars they have on their cigar menu. Shelley's has the top 25 cigars that are listed by Cigar Aficionado magazine on their cigar menu list. And they have a great staff that will help you find the cigar that you want if you're not particularly used to picking out a cigar. Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. Shelley's is the best, and uh, it's good to have Tommy back talking about uh, Shelley's. All right, so what did you miss that you wanted to talk about from when you were away? We had, well, we had three days of minicamp. I- by the way, yesterday uh, they canceled um, the, uh, the, the day today, which we were supposed to have uh, as the final OTA day. It's my opinion, and if I didn't talk about this yesterday, Galdi was on the podcast with me yesterday. We talked about a lot of things. Galdi was great yesterday. Um, but uh, I think it's just that they got wind that a lot of players weren't going to post for it, more likely than not. That that seems to make sense to me, why they you know, ended up you know, essentially canceling this last day. But anyway, what did you want to talk about? Uh, Ron Rivera's comments about the idea that this, that there's this 
possibly a real quarterback competition now. That you know that Sam Howell's not being handed the job. That Jacoby Brissett <laughs> will have a chance right. to win the job. Uh, somebody finally asked him, I think, about uh, you know snap counts. Uh, you know uh, who's going to get the most work with the first team. Right. Uh, and I forget what his answer was on that. Uh, but I thought that was, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think as as I think it speaks more towards my scenario, long shot scenario of Jacoby Brissett being the starter week one than the other guy being the starter. I mean, I, I talked a lot about those comments. Um, I, I just think that that they want this is what they want. They want Sam Howell to be the starter. So it's very clear, and not that this is news, that Sam Howell has a head start here. Sam Howell has to really soil himself in training camp um, to the point where they feel like they can't really operate with him and that everybody in the building's looking around saying, you're not actually going to do this, are you? I kind of think that's where we are. Now, I think it's stupid to completely dismiss the idea that that could happen. I, I don't know why people are so convinced that, well, that's not going to happen. Did you see him against the Cowboys? Um, of course it could happen. You know, he's never been a starting quarterback in the NFL you know, we, what we heard and what we heard all last week consistently, and by the way, I'm okay with this because I don't want them building him up publicly. I don't want to hear how great he is and, you know, about, you know, the, the unbelievable throws. Like we, like we were hearing earlier in the offseason, like uh, the defensive players are turning around saying, how did the ball get there so quickly? Yeah. You know, offensive yeah, players are I like, know. oh, my God, the ball was there right when I turned around. A- enough of that. I don't want to hear that. But what we heard was – you know, he's making progress that, you know, he's, you know, he auto corrects himself. He's got it. He's very coachable. I'm paraphrasing here, but these are the things that essentially, you know, were said about him last week. And, you know, I like that they're not building him up too much, but, um, I'm not, I'm not totally, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, when your offensive coordinator is asked about you know his his starting quarterback, and his his go to words are, he's very competitive, he's very smart, he understands he makes mistakes, and the only thing he wants to know is what he can do to get better. Like former uh, Eagles GM Joe Banner said on Twitter, when your offensive coordinator has a chance to talk about his starting quarterback, and he focuses on his demeanor, that's an odd choice. Was Joe Banner talking about Eric Bieniemy? I think so. Oh, um, I mean, I, at this point, I don't. I, I actually, I, I actually think I'd rather hear Eric, Eric Bieniemy just completely downplay it. Just say he's coming along. You know, long way to go, um, but there are things about him that we like, and you know, we're uh, we're making progress. I want I want Sam Howell to sneak up. On the NFL and on the Arizona but Cardinals, this, but this team, this team, even with this administration, has never done that. I know. 
Ron Rivera talked about okay. the, you know, the arm strength think... the other day. He was like, you know, uh, he's. I mean, he. It was the last thing as he was talking about, you know, uh, making progress and you know things he's improving on and other things he's got to work on. But you know, uh, at the same time, I mean, he can really throw the football. He's got a big arm, you know. And I, I think that's one of the things that they actually really do love about him. I don't know what else they truly love about him other than apparently he is a really coachable, easygoing you know, eager beaver um, as a young uh, quarterback. I just want to get back to my point, though. My point is, is that they want him to be the starter. So last week I asked the question, and we did this on um, on radio, and I think we, we talked about it on the podcast as well. Sam Fortier was on with me, and we, we talked about this. And I just I, I asked callers and I asked Sam when he was on with me, give me the percent chance right now that Jacoby Brissett is the starter on opening day. My, I'll tell you what my answer was first, and then I want to hear yours. I'm at 20%. And Sam's like, I'm at like 5%. And then I said, why? Like, you don't think there's a chance? You think there's only a 5% chance that Sam Howell is going to really soil himself or really cave or really, you know, in, in three weeks and 19 practices or whatever it is, you know, you think there's just only a 5% chance that he's going to, you know, that, that he's going to basically S the bed. And he's like, well, I guess there's more of a chance than that. Well, then you've got to, you've got to elevate the, the Brissette odds. I've got it one out of five. I had a lot of callers that were telling me it's 50%, 50%. But other people are like, it's 0% because I watched Sam Howell in that, in that Dallas game and I saw he's ready to play. Yeah. I don't get yeah, that I part of it because I look. At, I wouldn't yeah. put it much much different than where you put it because it's a long shot prediction. Okay. Well, you've predicted. Uh, it. I, I would put it maybe twenty five to thirty percent. Okay. Um. I mean, you're, you're right. He's gonna he's gonna have to he's gonna have to perform uh, to the point where uh, t- the difference is gonna have to be teammates are gonna have to think that they have a better chance to win with Brissett. And the offensive coordinator, who's auditioning for a head coaching job this year, is going to have to believe, uh, I have a better chance to win with Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, he's he's actually, you know, he's he, he, this 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 season's about him becoming a head coach, not an offensive coordinator. Yes, that's what I that's what I said. Oh, okay. Um, He's auditioning to be a head coach this year. Yeah, I I I I, I still think that that's. I asked Galdi yesterday. I said, um, you know, what's the thing that you're most excited about? He said Sam Howell. I said, what's the thing you're most concerned about? And I think he talked about the offensive line. And what's the thing you're most curious about? And for me, the curiosity is Eric Bieniemy. This is, to me, the biggest concern is, do they have a quarterback? I mean, I, I think that that's obvious, but it's obvious to me. I think, I don't know if they have a quarterback or not. And if they don't have a quarterback again, then they can't win enough games to go to the postseason. They might be great defensively, and I'm most confident in their defense. I think this could be an outstanding defensive football team. But outstanding defensive football teams with, without quarterbacks don't win Super Bowls. Uh, so or and don't compete for Super Bowls unless they're coached by Kyle Shanahan and he's not here. So I, I, I'm most curious about the Eric Bieniemy situation. To me, that you know, he's got total say on everything that goes on. 
You know, he scheduled everything for OTA days in minicamp, and everybody is basically following his lead. This practice that they were supposed to have today was apparently all Eric Bieniemy. Nope, we're coming back. We're practicing. Okay, Eric, if that's what you want. Now, they canceled it because, Tommy, interestingly, and I said this on Friday, it'll be interesting to see how many offensive players show up for this last voluntary standalone OTA day when their new offensive coordinator desperately wants them to show up. Well, they ended up canceling it. So I think they got wind that a lot of players weren't going to show up for it. I mean, we know the players that were, were definitely not going to show up for it. Um, right. But I think the Biennemi situation is the most interesting situation. Like, he's got total call on this. Is he going to go with – to go with Sam Howell, he's got to feel like Sam Howell has a chance to be a legitimate NFL starting quarterback top half of the league, you know, and whether it may take a while, but we're, we're going to invest in this right now, starting now. Um, because if he doesn't feel that way, then there's a chance he won't get to the end of this season with a quarterback that's making progress and looks like an NFL starter. And in that case, he's got to go with Jacoby Brissett because this is his chance, as you said. And he, yeah. need, he needs either a young quarterback that grows into a quarterback that everybody looks at and says, wow, what progress he made. Even if it's not a playoff team, and it probably won't be if Sam Howell starts 17 games. But if they say at the end of the year, wow, look at that kid, great job by Eric Bieniemy," Or, wow, that offense took a big jump with Eric Bieniemy and Jacoby Brissett as the coordinator and the quarterback, and they're a 10-win team, and they're playing in a wild-card game. One of those two things needs to happen for Eric Bieniemy. I would agree. That's all I got today, boss. <laughs> What about, do you have anything on Ted's press conference last week? I sent you. I didn't watch it. I sent you the note where he called his organization a kind of an it organization. As if every. I I did hear that. Yeah. People people are, are, you know, around the league look to to his organization as a model. As a model for for media, media in particular. You know, the monumental um, group has become a behemoth. All right, uh, we had to do this um, short uh, today because we're recording it before my radio show this morning. So we're going to both run, but we'll both be back together on Thursday. Welcome back. I'm glad your trip went so well. Uh, Sorry about Hilton Garden Inn. It's good to be back, boss. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.